Hello everybody, it's Marcy from wavesofcommunication.com. Welcome to another episode of the Language Facilitation Helpline podcast, and thank you for tuning in today. Every action you take to help the late talkers in your life is important, that the fastest results come when you enjoy the process of language facilitation. Welcome everybody to another Spotlight interview here on the Waves of Communication channel. And today we have Lori Hanna. She has so many wonderful perspectives to share with us about lay talking. She has experience working with students with autism, behavioral challenges, and other diverse learning needs. Lori Hanna is a blessed mother to five children. So she's a mama. And so I spent so much time observing my children and I watched them through play. They learned a great deal through play. They processed their life of their dad being away, military training through play. Um, time after time, their you know baby dolls would be you know packing up a suitcase, going to visit, or their husband was leaving. I mean, all of these things. And so I started to pay very close attention. And so when I moved back into teaching public education. I brought a lot of that perspective to my students. I wanted to watch them play so I could learn who they are. I felt like when I could observe them, I got to see their natural abilities. Um, did they talk while they were playing? Did they just make noise? Uh, did they get up and move a lot? Did they stay in one spot? And I got to see what their interests were. And from their interest is how I then developed an avenue to teach them. Um, because they have to enjoy what they're doing. And I believe school has to be fun. And so especially for students that have different diverse needs or don't have the same communication skills, it's hard to retrieve that information through verbal language. Oh my goodness. Let's just talk about that. So listen, right now, a lot of the people who are following me are in the system, the same system that you're working in, and they're maybe not in it yet, or they're somewhere in the process of it. And you know, the system uses evaluations, formal evaluations and standardized testing and checklists and guidelines and criterias and all that stuff to sort of understand. That's what the system uses as a tool to understand these kids. And what's brilliant about your situation is you came in not a member of the system, not a part of the system who learned that way, but a product of the system. You're a mom who had kids and you said your, your kids even had speech therapy. Mm -hmm. But when your kids were in therapy, and you were helping them at home because obviously we know that the therapist doesn't do it all. The therapist with homeschool moms, you learn from them and then do at home. But when you were helping your own kids who had speech challenges, right? You yeah. automatically you automatically went to play, right? Yeah, and it was interesting because, you know, some of the younger ones had some speech issues because they were mimicking what the older siblings were saying. It wasn't necessarily because they had their own speech impairment. It wrong. It was habits, right? right? Right. And when we did go to someone and I was in the military, um, well, our family was at the time. And so I was homeschooling. So I wasn't able to do it through the public school system. I did it through our, our healthcare provider at that time. Um, although I did have access to get evaluated via the schools. I did have rights to do that. Um, we saw an outside therapist and I remember relying on them like, okay, you're the expert in this. But then at the same time, 
I was the expert in my child. I knew my child better than the therapist did. I had to trust my gut on that. Um, I knew um, what he was going to be engaged in. I knew his personality. And so I really began to understand it's really a relationship between whether it's a doctor or a therapist or a counselor and the parent, because you have to team up and collaborate together to take their education, their insight, their recommendations, but you do have to mold it to your family, to your learning environment, to your personal situation and the child's needs. Yeah. Now you're sitting on the other side of the table now, right? So you're literally there as the teacher, facilitator, life skills coach, you know, all of that stuff wrapped in one, especially because now you're working with adolescent age kids. You have worked K through five and now you're with the older ones. So it it is different. The curriculum is different right now. You're really facilitating more of helping these students become community members, right? Get out in the world and do things with their life. It's beyond their ABCs and and math. I started off as a vocational rehabilitation um, teacher and counselor. I was working with adults with special needs, either trying to gain or maintain employment. And what inspired me to go into special education teaching is I would be with adults who I thought were so ill-prepared for the world of work. And I remember thinking, why hasn't anybody helped you know this person with social skills, communication skills, hygiene, all of these different things when they were younger. And so I, that's really what motivated me to work with younger students. And so even from when I meet my kindergartners, you know, of course, before COVID, when we could shake hands a little bit more, I used to shake that kindergartner's hand, say, shake my hand like you want a job. I mean, I instilled that in the kids that I worked with from when they were in kindergarten. It was always about one day you're going to have a job, especially when working with the population of students in the life skills classroom. You know, I want them to be able to, you know, leave high school, enter the world of work, have a purpose outside of their family and just develop those meaningful friendships and a strong sense of self. That's what right. I want. That's what every parent wants for their kid, right? Mm-hmm. And again, that strong sense of self, of who you are, is goes way beyond what you can and can't do. And right. this is why I wanted to have Lori on, because I think that's how she uses her puppets, is she helps people see beyond what is happening around them, what they are struggling with, what all of that stuff to connect with thinking. Like I said, it's more like observing the situation, getting present with it, right? What's going on here? How do we feel? Is there someone around me to help me? How do I connect with that person? Is there, and because it's different with every child, it's different with every connection. But what I loved about Lori, is that she can see the potential in kids when maybe their environment is holding them back from showing everything. So the one example that we talk about a lot on this channel is when kids get older or even through the process and they're in school for a lot of hours, the school spends time 
teaching them a lot of those hours to use these devices, to use a computer where they're touching things because it makes it easier for them in the school building to request what they want and communicate with strange people. You know, if they run into the new a custodian, the custodian can follow the pictures, you know, things like that. But those devices tend to hold these kids back out in the world, right? Because people in the building know how to respond to them or if a parent has them. But the parents often leave them in the backpack because it's not helping them at the house. It's not helping them during the functional, what we talk about, life skills mm -hmm. while they're out and whatever beyond requesting what they want at the restaurant. What if that thing's not available and they're trying to make other choices or they're negotiating or they're talking about new novel concepts that they've never seen before they're exploring together and that stuff's not programmed in the device you in your life skills training you were able to see through the blockage of those program systems talk about that experience sure. a little bit. so i i do think that technology is beneficial under certain circumstances with certain students i have a student that uses an eye gaze technology system it's it's wonderful. Um, it is his only form of communication. Right. Um, getting him to use it appropriately is a challenge. And that's part of, it has to be intentional. And I think that's kind of the word of, you know, of the day, intentionality. Um, just because a student has a device, you have to intentionally show them how to use it appropriately or, um, you know, guide them through it. But there's other students that may have access to a device, but who also have other skills and abilities that we have to intentionally help bring out of the child. And I was telling a story of, I do a little reading table with um, some of my students that are verbal, that are learning to read, even though they have some limitations, but really just following along in a book, you know, one-to-one -one correspondence with words, um, which is what they do in the general education classrooms. You know, they want to hold a book like everybody else. And the pictures are wonderful. Reading. Not great at it. They're right. experiencing successful right. reading. We're getting through a story. And of course, if you're if they're missing it, you're sharing the details of the story because it's wonderful language facilitation. Now you've got a topic specific, you've got a book to talk about. You can dig in and discuss the characters right. and the story. And the other big piece is as we know, behavior is a form of communication. And so wow. A child needs to be able to sit at that table, open the book properly, sit with their peers, keep their hands to themselves. So I'm a big promoter of helping the child develop appropriate behavior skills um, related to their age appropriate peers first, because I don't think you can really go on to the academics or even some of the communication development until their behavior is manageable. And so really? at that table, just the fact that those students, some of them are sitting there appropriately for me is a, a huge blessing because maybe they weren't doing that before, but I did have just such a gift of a student who is nonverbal, who, you know, sat and pointed to each word. And he had made some noises at different times, but there was one day where he, I don't know, but he just made a lot of the sounds um, as if he were, and he read some of the words to where you could understand them. It was magical. It would be the only, you know, word. And I, I, you know, I told his mom, I shared it with his mom, and I said, this may not happen all the time every day. 
but you really just need it to happen once to know that it's a possibility. And that's always my goal with kids related to behavior as well. If they can do it once, you have the hope that they can do it again. And you just have to figure out how do you transfer it? Maybe a success at school. How do you transfer that within your home environment? So for me as an educator, that collaboration with parents is the piece of sharing the abilities and success, even if it's non-academic, to just say there is hope that they can do this some days, sometimes. Yeah. And and again, because if they can do it some days and sometimes, and the other component is you're connected with them and paying attention. So you're seeing what triggered that. Is it this particular kind of story, like you said, it happened when we did the train story and that was the extra motivation that pushed him over the edge to get him to try. Because what we talk about on our channel, and this is what you've learned firsthand, is that these kids aren't going to develop because we do things. Mm -hmm. They're going to develop because they do things. They're going to develop because of their own experiences that they decide to try, that they decide to rise up out of their comfort zones and do. And they do it because you motivate them, you cheerlead them, you offer them opportunities, you give them those experiences. And then when you see those things, you highlight, wow, look what you did. I can't imagine you were like exploding with pride talking about his <laughs> Here's this showed everybody. <laughs> I, was, I was just doing whatever. And see, because you saw that interest in Spark and you even took the extra effort to show everybody. I love well, that. I think that's the piece too. Um, I believe I'm one of those people that share things when life is good. Um, yeah. Everyone knows when life is not going well. They know when a tantrum is going on in your classroom or whatever. But um, as, a, as an educator, I work with kids that have really strong behavioral challenges. So the administrators, the school, they know those days. I like to come back and say, look at the success from today to just say, this child does have the potential to have good days and kind of bear with us, hang in there, please keep supporting us because, and and the administrators and the other, you know, teachers in the building, they love to see those success stories. Yeah. And I've, I've learned, I think I've had to be um, self-reflective myself as to why I do certain things the way I do in the classroom. My children are all within six years of each other. So we traveled as a herd. We went in a small group everywhere. I did not have a choice. And so, um, you know, when we went to the grocery store, we may only be there for a short period of time because I could only fit so many things in my cart because I had so many children in my cart or on the sides. So we were <laughs> there often. And people would ask me if I had a preschool. And I'm like, no, it's just my kids. Um, but they started to know who we were. And so in the classroom, your greatest manpower as an educator to me are the other children. You know, in a self-contained room, and I've worked in life skills and um, it's called a structured learning environment, primarily with students with autism and behavioral challenges. Mm -hmm. I did have paraprofessional support and that was wonderful and you need it. But there were times where I did have to ask the adults, just go wait out in the hall. Just, I will call you if I need you. It's kind of like when there's two parents there, the kids play, the parents for each other. Yeah, what a testament to the intelligence of these kids and their ability to decide who I want to engage with. Because remember, if you're feeling crummy because you, you know, I don't know, you whatever, you got in a car accident, you know, somebody mm -hmm. rear-ended you. 
you're going to pick up the phone and call somebody, Mm -hmm. but you decide who that is. Like, you're not going to call your auntie who tells you, oh, where are you going too fast? It's probably Mm -hmm. your fault. Like, if you've got somebody like that in your life, you're not going to automatically go to them. You're going to go to the person who you trust Mm -hmm. will help you process your grief, fear, frustration, you know, whatever it is. Because remember, all those meltdowns come from some sort of feeling, some sort of reaction, some sort of situation. And, you know, when you take the time to see where that's coming from, that's how you become the one who can talk them down. Off so the and I, I've learned um, that many of the students I work with uh, regarding some of their pushing the boundaries, <laughs> let's just say, I kind of feel like they are waiting for an adult to tell them no. I think that we are inundated with, we need to give kids choices. And I'm all about giving children choices, but limited choices. And it's perceived control. Mm -hmm. Your choice is either the red crayon or the blue. And the child Mm -hmm. could be so sweet and nice and say, can I have the green? No, it's this one or this one. I'm the adult. You're the child and you have to choose from the two that I'm providing. And that whole philosophy of who's in charge of the classroom is a huge piece um, to helping a child behave and communicate appropriately, in my opinion. Um, But developing that relationship of who's in charge and saying no to the child. I've watched children almost craving for someone to just tell them no. And yeah, give them a defined thought. It's not yeah. about no. It's about not now, not yet. Because I know you never say no. It's never going to happen in your life. Right. Because it's that's a boundary. A and, it's a, and for it's me, it's creating a, yeah. a visual boundary as well. And so I do a lot of that in the classroom as well, especially for kids that their communicative language is, is limited. They can't just hear what you're saying about a boundary. They have to see it. So I use a lot of tangible things. Painter's tape is my best friend in the classroom. I use trays a lot of the time that give kids ownership and their own stuff, but they have to carry it, but they have to keep yeah. everything on it. And yeah. so it shows them this is your space. You yeah. know, keep your things so on what your it's space. about is responsibility. And I always talk about with responsibility comes privilege and with privilege comes responsibility. And that's really what we're talking about here. You you want to have a community classroom where everyone is responsible for their own selves. This is what we're raising adults, right? Not raising children. And even if they're four years old, they still have to understand that with privilege comes responsibility and with responsibility comes privilege. And that's where a lot of parents fail sometimes, or they feel like they fail because they're seeing behaviors they don't want to see. This is always what happens is when the responsibility privilege balances off. They either have too much responsibility, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, with no privilege, or they have too much privilege, here you go, have whatever you want, as many choices as you want, you can say whatever you want with no. And I think it's about the balance. And you're right, those kids that are stuck in too many choices, they need the, in in the form of this, these are your options. And they also need the option of it's not appropriate right now. There is a time and a place for this. So it's not just no, it's not now, no and why. And because you give these kids the credit of understanding, 
the situation and trusting you that you're not going to guide them wrong. You've got good ideas. You know that, yeah, okay, waiting is a bummer. You know, well, there's I, teach waiting. I think that learning to wait is extremely important for all children. Yeah. And I just taught a class on this where I gave an example of a student that, you know, was misbehaving and didn't want to start on time. And I said, that's fine. Let me know when you're ready. Raise your hand whenever you're ready. Yes. And when the student raised their hand, I said, okay, thank you so much. I'm so glad you're ready to join us. I'm going to set my timer now for one minute and you'll wait for me and I'll come back. Wow. And it was like, what? And wow. I wanted the class to know I'm still going to put those that followed the directions first. I did not forget about about you, but you're going to have to learn to wait for the adult. And that whole establishment of who's in charge of the classroom is so important because if I tend to the child immediately, there's a good chance they're going to do that again next time. Well, and it's about expectations, right? So if you're a mom and you're at home with no expectations, you've got them in your house right? Start there. We eat at a certain time. Do we eat at other times? Well, sometimes maybe if there's an exception, sometimes there's always exceptions. But if it is a hard no, and if you don't feel like it, I always tell parents, you got to draw your boundaries. If it is not time to go outside and your kiddo standing there with their shoes, then you have to let them know now is not the time. And it's not like you abandoned them. You are, like you said, you set the timer and set that child up for success. Now I'm going to show you waiting one more minute. You can do this. I promise you. you I talked about the uh, power of Cheerios. I just did a lesson on this as well. And I had a pediatrician ask me, how do you get your kids to stay so well behaved? Because I did. I traveled with all five and they were five and a half, four and a half, three and a half, one and a half and a baby. And I said, Cheerios. And I had a Ziploc bag of Cheerios that I would give to my oldest. And she gave one at a time to each one of my kids. And if my son started flailing around, you know, she would give him a look and be like, and skip him. And then she'd come back around again. And once he behaved. They had to have something to help them wait. They, did, they, also they, had, an accountability, they had an accountability sibling. Like I'm the one that's watching. And, you know, they knew their expectation was in this moment. And it wasn't like it happened every day. This right. was when you needed them. Here was a mom with six people, including herself, that she's got to manage. And when we talk about behavior management, it is self-management is the goal, right? Is that child to self-decide to come to the table, self-decide to hold the book, not a hand over hand management, a self-management. And you create the boundaries. This is the place to be inside this tape. You're going to be successful if you stay in here. Outside, I can't guarantee that you're going to get the goods of what you get if you follow the rules. And then they're like, oh, and then the peers, they see the peers following the, peers the rules. to me are also the biggest piece in public education um, that I feel are underutilized. Um, and that's coming from a mom of five. Developing that sense of class family and class community. I always like pairing up kids that maybe have a certain behavior um, that may be challenging with a younger one that has that same behavior. And it is that self-reflection. It's that holding up a mirror mm -hmm. to the child and seeing it in someone else. I find that really powerful. Even for nonverbal students, um, you they can still comprehend the directions of things. And it gives them, again, a chance for success. So asking a student that may get easily frustrated because they can't communicate 
communicate appropriately, giving them a task of caring and tending to someone else and sort of the responsibility, as you say, nope, grab their hand, bring them to the door. We've got to go. They need your help. I've watched some of the students kind of like me, because usually oh. we, in, ed, in public school, we, we tend to certain kids really quickly, especially if they're nonverbal, um, but they can do quite a bit. And when you put them with their peers, I just, and sort of stand back a little bit and watch them take care of each other and have that as an expectation. They're so caring and loving (laughs) and they love each other. And, you know, you see the kids, if you're in a classroom, you see the one who's having a meltdown, you see the other kids having empathy for them. Oh, yeah. You, you know, they don't they they know because they've been there. They had their meltdown last week. You know, they know that that kid's going through something right now. And they help to correct the student, too. I, I've seen students respond better to a peer telling them to stop doing something than they have from any adult telling them to stop. Well, like you said, if it's a mirror, because that thing that's let's call it annoying. Let's mm-hmm. say the child's making constant noises in the classroom. Mm-hmm. They're limited verbal and that's their str- strategy for self-soothing. But they don't realize mm-hmm. how it is affecting their peers. Right. You pair them up with another peer who does that. Oh, yes does that, then that peer is going to be annoyed by that other peer. And then they're going to interact with them in a way, right? right. That's where you've got it. Like you get those kids to see. Yeah. Yes. And that's a big thing too. I have a student who let's say couldn't open the glue or something like that to go to the student who does have those challenging and more aggressive behaviors. And, you know, peers do get frightened from some of those kids sometimes as well because they can get aggressive. But to give them an opportunity to say, go to this child, they'll help you. It lets them see this child does get angry, does get mad and may do some things that are unsafe, but they can also help you when you need them. And you have to intentionally create. He can flip a desk. He's definitely strong enough to open your glue. Right. But that takes intentionality on the educator takes intentionality on the parent, but this all goes to that self-reflection. You know, I do use physical mirrors in the classroom as well. Um, I've learned that some kids are um, very uncomfortable looking at themselves, smiling, and that says a lot to me about the inner turmoil of a child, and I've learned that I've had to teach children how to look at himself or herself and smile and really like who they see in the mirror and on the same this is where the youtube channel right this is where the youtube channel comes in the mirror is self-reflective literally but um i also use puppets if i can introduce a couple of them yeah so simon i created the youtube channel when i during COVID. i had a parent of one of my students ask me if i had a youtube channel she said i'd love for her to see you over COVID." and i was like i'm so not tech savvy uh so i'll create a youtube channel <laughs> this was simon and that's kind of who it started from and he's he's the really shy kid nervous quiet in the background you know who you really have to help find his voice and so the whole show is based on simon and simon has some friends so hero is the student or child who is in the phase of life of it's all about me (laughs) and um needs a lot of help realizing that the world is full of a lot of children that you have to share the attention of teachers and parents that you have to share um and just helping the the student or child realize that they're 
are others that you have to engage with. But thing about hero always wants to help, wants to be the hero of a situation. And so it's our job to help intentionally create those things where you can have success. I love that. So they, these guys have archetypes, right? They're yeah. kind of archetypal puppets. They also, I mean, they're the inspiration are my former students and own kids combined. So hi, this is Gloria. She's a bit of a blurter and uh, always likes to, you know, get in everyone's business and really needs that intentional intervention to create personal boundaries, um, personal space. But she wants desperately to have a friend. And as we know, as adults, sometimes we have to intervene and help children develop those friendships appropriately. Um, RJ, <laughs> RJ is one of my faves his favorite word is no is no he says no to everything and if you say stand here he'll stand over there just doing the opposite non-compliant of whatever it is that you're asking um and just needs a little extra tlc but really responds well to peers and then i do have val she is my non-verbal puppet and she has helped um me realize the power of nonverbal communication um, and, and the power of love. I mean, she just, she loves everybody, even though she can't communicate the same way as many of her peers. And so I created this YouTube channel to create these little lessons, but I also bring the puppets into the classroom and that has been really powerful and going not only into special education classrooms, I go into the gen ed classrooms. Some of the teachers have been wonderful to me to let me in there and teach a lesson because children cannot see their own behaviors. They can see it in the other peers. They're very good at policing the other kindergartners. <laughs> um, but when they're paired up with the puppet and they've got to get a puppet to comply and the puppet is saying, no, that is not a very easy situation for them to navigate through. Um, so it's a wonderful way to have a student reflect on their own behaviors. All these little archetypes are late talker archetypes. They're all, they're kid archetypes. Like you said, it, you don't have to have any kind of needs, abilities, whatever. There's probably a little bit of all of those puppets in all of us. <laughs> like I said, these archetypes are literally, we all feel these things sometimes. And what's nice about the way that they were created, you know, is because is through these experiences where their purpose of being there, their beings, right? These puppets are beings just like humans are beings. And they have reactions and responses and all of those kinds of things like people do. And using puppets, I've even done a video about using puppets as language facilitators because one of the things about them is you can control their responses where sometimes even in ourselves we can't control our responses but there's an outside person that you're controlling and if you're trying to these are lessons learned right how we are trial and error we talk about language facilitation is a trial and error process because for a while one a child might be 
on one topic. They might love trains and then they're exposed to something new and they drop trains like a hot potato and now they're on to space, you know, and, and it can happen that quickly. And unless you're really connected and intentional about what you're presenting to these kids, that's when you're going to see their response come at you like, okay, this is for me or no, thank you. It's not for me. And then it's your job to pivot, right? If it's not for me, uh oh, it's up to you as the facilitator to put on your creativity and pivot with them. And that's how you keep them on your team. You know, I think that's it, creating that community because we all have skills and abilities, different ones. And it, where one child lacks, like the shy, weak, you know, one who just, I can't open the anything. And it's not necessarily because they're not strong, but just because they're not confident. Not confident. And, and then this other person is super confident, flipping desks and, you know, threatening people and all that stuff. They've got confidence to burn. And just the ability that my shy self it's okay because you facilitated the connection between two very different personalities. And you can do that with your puppets. Here's aggressive mommy with shy, you know, the other one. And then they can communicate together and people see, oh, I don't have to not be with people that I'm a little afraid of, or I'm intimidated by, or I think are weak or less than me or whatever, depending on which end you are. Right. I think the biggest piece is to build those relationships and develop those compensatory skills, especially for our students that have, you know, different needs, um, especially those that have limitations in their communication. It's their compensatory skills of being able to be friendly and being able to ask for help in a way that is meaningful, that yeah. that is what's going to help them get through, you know, different experiences and build upon things tremendously simply because they could interact with you know, an adult or a peer and ask, hey, you know, can you be my buddy? Or oh, can you help me reach that? And then all of a sudden, those relationships just start flourishing a lot more naturally. I think everywhere, outside of school, everywhere too, because I think it's about, again, empowering that responsibility. Like, it's okay to connect. It's okay to even, I'm going to learn something from this person. And I think it really matters about their support system, you know, that it's there, that they've seen, because not every social interaction is is, is successful, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, right. <clears throat> sometimes it's not. And because one isn't coming at it, you know, they're, they're not connecting. They're coming at it from a sense of isolation. And I think that's the other thing that happens a lot to kids who have limited verbal skills is they don't see the, I can ask anybody for help. I, there's no one in my life that will help me. And a facilitator's responsibility is to show up and prove over and over again by not judging, by guiding, by giving all alternatives and and creating those win-win situations where everybody's happy like the waiting situation you talked about mm -hmm. and proving that over time okay i don't always get what i want and sometimes yeah. there are bummer things and yeah i've got to wait but if i connect i know i trust these people i love these people and they're gonna help me when i struggle that's how you build community right yes and that's really where the book idea of stand like a superhero came from because i had a full-length mirror outside of well it started with a small mirror then it turned into a full-length mirror outside my classroom and when i would bring my students in there and this is when i was teaching resource i had the kids 
you know, stand in front of it. And I said, stand like a superhero and gave them a visual. You know, if you say stand with confidence, what does that really mean? But if you tell a child, stand like a superhero, hands on your hips, chest out, chin up, look at yourself and say, I'm ready to learn. And they started to do this. And then even the students who in life skills are nonverbal, they can follow suit. They can stand like a superhero. They see what their peers are doing. Even if nothing's verbally coming out of their mouth, they stand there. They can smile. They're seeing themselves not only successful, but doing exactly what these other peers are doing. Um, I should do it myself. Every teacher should do it. We should all be ready to I'm learn every day. Every parent out there every single day, I am a superhero right. language facilitator. Mm -hmm. I'm a superhero accountant. I'm a superhero right. mommy. You know, you know? We, and I know as, as a mother and educator, we often come home defeated and feel defeated. Um, but if we're walking around like, I mean, surely our children are. And it's just that standing with confidence and you learn from failure. It's okay to fail. It's okay to mess up. I mean, that's how you learn to be better. And we all fall down. Mm -hmm. And what's nice is that when you're in a community, one falls down, the other one picks them up because you fall down, someone picks you up. That's what it's all about. The self-reflection really becomes powerful because when they start to look at themselves and you're feeding them a script of what to say, all of a sudden over time, they come out and look at themselves and they say some positive affirmation independently you've not prompted them and then the next step becomes if their friend's having a bad day and looks in the mirror like this their friends start to say come on chin up put your hands on your hip and they'll say something for them and they're complimenting them and so the the mirror experiment blew into something that was so beautiful to watch and and i tell the story of in life skills i had a student who would not remain still constantly roaming the room wouldn't focus, couldn't focus on things unless it was a device. And I asked his mom, you know, does he sit down at home only if he has a phone or an iPad, she said. And so I said, oh my goodness. So I brought in a, a full length mirror into that classroom and he sat in front of it and he just was enamored with himself and for 15 plus minutes sat there and just observed himself. It was beautiful. And now at a table, like his peers, he can sit there. I do have to put a small little mirror there to keep him engaged, you know, and I realized he just needed himself. He just needed to look at himself, you know, to stay in one spot. And it, it wasn't a technology device, you know, it was just him. I completely agree because remember these kids, if they are really hooked on tech, their best friends are Peppa Pig, Mickey Mouse, and you know, Thomas the Tank. They're, you know, whoever they're watching, doesn't matter what they're watching, Blippy. Well, and they used to have in the cars, you know, before it became to give a device, they did have mirrors that you put on the back of the seat, you know, so that if your child was young and in a car seat, they were looking at themselves and just, you know, that's right, even in the pages. <laughs> They do it with babies, but so much earlier and earlier and earlier, if a child even because these kids are super smart, just because they're not verbal, they're super smart and they can find like their favorite videos in a heartbeat and they spot tech, you know, they find phones, they see screens all over. I've got a family in my many of them in my program that are stuck like this. And again, they come out of it when they see a relationship because they just have a relationship with the device and then they're creating a relationship with themselves and you they learn then because that's a human in there and they're affecting because the device is 2D they're just it doesn't give them back they're having to project 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 on the reflection it 
wait, when I project something, I see exactly yeah. what I'm yeah. doing. And whoa, it's coming back at me. And I see that. And I either really like it or ooh, maybe I'm I should change that. I mean, that's what we all do. You fix your hair, you don't like it, you fix it again, right? <laughs> And that's where it starts visually is I like what I look at and that's where it starts. But I think because your component brings the verbal talking mm -hmm. about what you see and is reflection of how you feel, yes. then that's where it comes to really doing the work. So brilliant. Wow. Thank you so much. So we've made it kind of through your, your, your resources. Now the book's not quite available yet. Do I understand? No, it comes out at the end of May. Um, there'll be a link on my webpage, which is www.socialskillswithsimon.com com and the YouTube channels which are free um, and videos are on there as well and this summer I definitely hope to make a lot more very inspired this year from all my students so I'm excited to see what me too I can't wait to start sharing them on the platform look what Lori's talking about now look what the puppets are talking about now I can't wait to start sharing them so the other thing that I like to do is because our waves of communication platform is a resource platform and we're trying to equip and empower a lot of people all over the place with our resources which resources from our platform did you find the most successful that you wouldn't mind sharing with your audience sure well two things from your site that really grabbed me was if it's not fun it's it's not fun. I really think, especially with children, it needs to be engaging. And you have to learn about the child in order to find out what it is that is engaging. And I'm a believer. I'm in my 40s. I still like to play and have fun. That is what intrigues me to learn. And so I think we need to also keep the mindset that just as our children are getting older and becoming young adults, it still needs to be engaging and fun for them. The other thing that really stood out to me as well is when you discussed about habits and as a parent and I was at home with my kids a long time as well it's difficult for parents to even notice some of those habits that are happening within your home you know I had five kids I'm sure by kid number five we were speaking for her um, my husband is in the military and when he came back from a deployment I found myself translating what my children were doing or saying without giving him the opportunity of time to figure it out um, because I had been with them so long so if one of them ran up and showed something or or made a comment he would just like, what are you trying to tell me? And from the background, I'd be like, she wants apple juice. And so I never allowed, you know, those relationships and that communication to develop naturally. Um, but again, it takes some self-awareness and intentionality and the help of educators and therapists and counselors who might notice things in their classroom or setting to be able to come back to the parent and say, here's what I noticed, you know, and parents need to be willing to be open and hear that insight and feedback and be like, oh, yeah, I guess I do always translate for them when they're about to brush their teeth instead of saying, it's time to brush my teeth. So those kinds of things. Yeah, the, that's great. Well, and, and thank you for highlighting those things. We talk about both of those things all the time. And we talked again that privilege and responsibility. With privilege comes responsibility. And, um, you know, the privilege of hearing your child talk comes with the responsibility of connecting with them 
It yeah. really, that's it. And the responsibility of equipping and empowering them and giving up. I know it seems like a tough thing to take on as a responsibility, but give up the control and uh, let them learn. Use time and connection and, you know, shift and change with them. That's how you're going to get improvement. And when you do, it happens a lot faster, doesn't it, Lori? Oh, definitely. And it becomes more natural and authentic and you're not reaching and trying to figure out what to try to talk about as much. It just becomes um, Yeah, I, I always talk about that. Once you're in the flow like this, we call it the language facilitation zone. That time when you're really connected with the child and you're on the same page, you're, you're, on, you're thinking about the same thing at the same time, yeah. and you're providing lots of language about that thing without any expectations except for join me and learn. And while the child is joining you and learning, you can see the gears turn and almost the smoke going like, wow, he's really getting this. And they almost push you aside and say, let me show you, you know, they'll do so. Yeah, I love and, I, and I think, sorry, it's around here, but I think exactly what you just said for some students using that third party puppet as that facilitator and a participant to engage in that because they may be self-conscious and not confident to speak for themselves, but they will speak if they're the voice of a puppet. And that's, that's why I think it's so powerful and so much fun to just, just try. Yes. So mirrors and puppets before the book comes out, go get yours, start practicing, playing at home. And then when the book comes out, you're going to see all the examples of how it works all over the place and you're going to get it there. And in the meantime, go check out the YouTube channel. She's got COVID advice. She's got lots of new social skills stuff coming out. I'm sure more and more all the time. So thank you for joining thank me. Lori. So I really appreciate you having me. I know that both parents and educators will appreciate your perspective because everybody wants the same. We all want better outcomes with spoken language and we want to equip and empower the kids to do it themselves. So, and we're just here to guide them and enjoy the ride, all the ups and downs of it, okay? So thanks again for joining me, Lori. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. With a whole range of Waves of Communication resources, from free content to customized coaching, you now have access to everything you need to elevate spoken language to infinite success. You are welcome to get your journey started with my 11-week language facilitation journey to speech workbook. This tool is helping parents worldwide create nonstop language facilitation opportunities that elevate spoken language beyond even their own expectations. You can access this workbook and all of the language facilitation resources on my website, wavesofcommunication.com.